for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. On today's show, we will be continuing with our questions from our Oak Bros mailbox. However, one important thing about our show with our mailbox is that our content is inspired by you, our grinders and listeners. So today, we'll be introducing you to Mr. Bryson Bercy and his story for a special Elk Bros conversation that we hope makes a difference in your life. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy your show. And as always, for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, and coming to us, that's right, we've got the northern leader of the Venezuelan mafia <laughs> from Fort Worth, Texas, Mr. Manano Graterón, and from Cuesta, New Mexico, that's right, we've got the legend in the house, Mr. R.C. Knox, and from Sem- on. No, we don't have El Jefe tonight, but we got the ninja, Mr. Leroy Chavez in the house. And our plan today for our show, guys, is like we promised. We're going to go to something that continued with our listeners from last week. You know, we had some great questions, and uh, then we'll be introducing you guys to an elk hunter that, just like most of you, uh, for a conversation that has affected all of us here at Elk Bros, and, and, re- and really, y'all, is the main re- reason behind our show for today. But more to come on that. And if we have more time, we'll go back to a lot of those questions. So, bros, how's it going, Chav? Uh, going good. 
How are you? Man doing fantastic. Legend. How how's the weather up there in Cuesta, New Mexico? <laughs> Snowy. Yeah, we're Snowy. expecting snow. Snowy <laughs> Cuesta. We're expecting That's snow good. tomorrow too. Fantastic. Well, it's, uh, it's still been warm and rainy down here in, in South Texas. So I call Houston South Texas. I mean, cause anything further than that's really dang near Mexico. Uh, so it's been warm, but we're supposed to get a little reprieve here this weekend, get a little cooler weather in. So, uh, me and Logan might go traipse around the woods and try to chase some whitetails this weekend. So. Uh, we'll see. We we tried our luck fishing last weekend and fished a little tournament, a little derby up there on Sam Raver and ended up 20th. But we had a good time. Didn't break anything. So that's usually a good tournament if you don't it's break nothing. Turn, yeah. Yeah, you don't for break. sure. Manano, how's, how's the weather up in Big D? Is it still it's raining a, up there? No, it was a beautiful day today. And especially Luis is not around here today. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty day, though. Telling you, Luis catches it when he ain't here. I mean, we've given Manano enough yeah. hell, that's for sure. So, right. we'll send yeah. a little now bit that's that my way. turn. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, fellas, yeah, as, as our listeners know, Joe is uh, with us, but he's not with us. Uh, he'll be producing the show, but uh, El Jefe's sitting this one out. So, man, we've got a, a really cool show for you guys today. And uh, let's get this party started and head on over to our Elk Bros mailbox. Chav, you'll start us out today, brother. Okay, uh, this first letter is from Tatum Holiday from Illinois, and he says, I hear a lot of shows talking about a cold calling scenario, but I'm not sure how it differs from other scenarios or how I would know to do one. What is it and when do you use it? And, uh, I'm a little confused about that too, Gilbert. Could you give me a... Yeah, for sure. Differentiate for me. Yeah, and, and I, I get where he's coming from because a lot of guys don't understand what a cold calling scenario is versus uh, any other type of scenario, right? So a scenario of you and I are, are walking uh, in the woods and, and we're, you know, in an area we feel like there are some elk and then we hear an elk and let's say there's a fence line, a borderline from us. We hear an elk and we hear a rut fest going on over there. Well, a different scenario from a cold calling would be, would be us putting on our own rut fest because we've heard something, right? We want to get a reaction out of them. But a cold calling scenario, you know, a lot of guys think, well, this is when you get in the woods, you just start calling. Well, that's not really necessarily a cold calling scenario. A cold calling scenario should happen when they have put themselves in a position where they're around elk, right? They've seen sign. They've seen, they either smell them, see tracks, fresh droppings. Then you can feel good about doing a cold calling scenario where we're not hearing a bull or a cow or anything like that, but we're going to project to see what we get back, right? So we're going to start a cold calling scenario on our own and the big thing about those cold calling scenarios is your setup you can't you don't want to just start calling and not understand where your elk could come from and uh, i think rc would agree that the number one most important thing about that setup is your wind right (laughs) most definitely and i mean because have the wind right you're yeah, I mean, and elk are, are generally curious animals when they hear another elk. They're going to want to try to get the wind if they can. So uh, these things, they are all got to take in place. You know, when, when you start out, you definitely want to start calling. You know, we always hear it elk bros. We're lovers before we're fighters, uh, especially depending on the time of year, especially if it's early. Those early season cold calling scenarios are just want to, you know, 
uh, cast out a little, I call it, it's like fishing. It's we're casting our lure out there and trying to drag it back to get a bite. You know, uh, to this year when I had Tom with me, we really were cold calling. I mean, we didn't really have anything going on, but we were in a, a piece of property that was kind of landlocked and we couldn't go a whole lot of ways because we had some boundaries around us. So we just started cold calling and casting out calls that were that making elk sounds, right? And uh, before you know it, we had something respond and come into us, and Tom actually took his first bull doing that. So um, so to summarize that, a regular calling scenario is when you've seen an elk or you've heard an elk. Absolutely. And a cold calling exactly. scenario is when you haven't seen or haven't heard, but you're in an area where there's a lot of sign yeah, and, exactly. and the area looks good, and that's when you start casting your calls. Okay, or you so might you, even have, have smelled them there. Yes. All right. Yeah. Smell yeah. the smell and the wind, right? Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, everything. It's a good pinch point that you might be in a good funnel point where they would come and you, you'd have a really good opportunity at shooting a bull or shooting a cow, whichever tag you might have. But the, the setup is the crucial part of the cold calling scenario as it is with any scenario. But that cold calling scenario is it's really getting started with soft cow calls, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe one location bugle, you know, but really the soft cow calls and mews and calf calls and stuff like that to, you know, make other elk feel like there are elk in the area. And they, when they feel like there's elk in the area, they're going to come take a look, especially, uh, bulls and satellite bulls, you know, uh, as well. Uh, I mean, we didn't, I didn't, you know, do that cold calling scenario. Shoot, maybe 10 minutes and here comes a, a big spike. You know, I mean, he's got to go, come see where, where the party's going on. So, uh, at the end of the day, that's, that's kind of how a cold calling scenario starts, but a great way to break it down. RC and Chav. Fantastic. Manano's from next. Mr. Other. Adam. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hey guys, I'm 90% of the time a solo hunter when I do a calling sequence like a group of elk with a, with a bull. Should I stay in one place and do a calling sequence or should I move around a bit to give it a more realistic sound like a, like there are multiple animals? So I'm the lowest member of this crew, so <laughs> the less experience. It's, it, it's a workout, what he's talking about. Um, RC and I did several of them this year hunting together, and I'm telling you, by the time you're done with it, you're flat wore out because you're moving around, you're raking trees, you know, you're, uh, you're stomping around there like other elk would be making racket. I mean, yes, everything you can do to move around if you're not inside the bubble. When you're inside the bubble, man, it's time to get set and ready because he's coming, right? But as you're doing a, a calling sequence like a group of elk, yeah, you want to sound like the, the herd of elk that's in there. Look, man, kicking logs and all that stuff, really, I've seen I've seen guys kick a log and the bull go, Woo! I mean, he bugles because of that, right? So all of those things go into play. And, man, I stomp around and crack limbs, and, man, it's a full workout. Of course, you know, I can't breathe up there anyway, so just about 10 <laughs> seconds of that, man, I'm ready to pass out. But at the end of the day, yes, uh, you know, that call-in sequence – and that scenario is even better when you can move around and sound like a herd of elk, right, RC? That's right. right. Uh, I I remember one time uh, uh, Joe was like 
150 yards away. He was uh, to the other side of the mountain, and he was calling. He was, I don't know, he he spent about 45 minutes yeah. without any response. And then he, um, we we got to see elk to the other to the deer side of the, of the other side of the mountain, but uh, they didn't respond. And then he improvised. Uh, I think it was it was a lost cow or something yeah. like that. Lost calf. Right. So out of I mean, the situation just changed from second. But he got forty five. I don't know even an hour before that situation arrived. It's a it's a workout. It's a workout, and uh, and yeah. you have to be able to see uh, how how you can move accordingly without blow the situation up. If you're inside the bubble, you got yeah. I don't know how many eyes looking <laughs> around. Sure. So you don't want to you know start moving around and 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 because you you can make a yeah, calling sequence from the same spot uh, in in a decent manner without yeah. moving. You know, around with so many eyeballs <laughs> looking around. Yeah, you, and, so. and and remember when you're calling, we're using our tube behind us, right? right. So yeah. we're making those calls sound further than they are. Yeah, that's what right. it's important is to call behind you so they can't pinpoint where you're at. Exactly, and, and make sure you have cover behind you too, because they'll right. look over you. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we'll harken back to when you and I, Chav, called those bulls into about 12 feet. You know, yeah. they, there was no <laughs> way we could call at them. I had to call behind me and make it sound even further back there, just barely getting a sound out. And, uh, I mean, it was the difference maker in them, you know, deciding, you know, whether they were going to come across that barrier or not. Same thing this year. Adam's bull left or uh, Tom's bull left three times and I called him back every time. And finally one little, one little chuckle behind me. And I mean, it was very faint, like a that did it. He, he couldn't stand it. Had to come see what was over there behind us. But had I been calling at him, it would have never worked. You know, he'd have been thinking I need to see him right here, you know. So, again, the way we're calling in that sequence behind us makes a huge difference in in us being able to th- – that's a great observation too, Manano, is how many eyes are looking at us. Are we in a group of elk when we do that, or do we are we calling that a lone bull who's trying to come into the party, you know what I mean? So that was really, really good question, Mr. Visser, that's for sure. Y'all, before we continue with the questions, we got a real, real special guest tonight that has a story that we all wanted to talk about. You see, each of us can relate how our lives have changed through elk hunting from a physical, mental, spiritual, or even our relationships that we've developed along the way to possible newfound strengths, accomplishments, or things that we've grown to know and accept about ourselves and all of those around us. It has given us purpose or a reason to be excited about our lives. Does it help us through hard times and make us stronger and more confident? Heck yes. Or does it make us realize shortcomings that we need to face every day and that we are still facing, right? I mean, with all that in mind, we want to get the ball rolling tonight and welcome today's guest with his story, Mr. Bryson Bercy. Welcome, Bryson. Welcome, Bryson. You're looking, Bryce. Hey, Elk Bros. Thank y'all for having me. I'm so excited Absolutely. to be here. 
Tell you, I'm tickled to death. Well, you don't get to see Luis. That's a bless, bro. <laughs> <laughs> You're a lucky dude. Be happy, bro. Is that First right? Of all. Okay. Well, I'll just have to take your word for that then, I suppose. Tyson, <laughs> how long have you been elk hunting, brother? Man, not long. Uh, y'all are probably the veterans here. This was, uh, 2022 was my third year. I started okay. in, uh, I guess 2019. And so, gotcha. this was are you an archery year. elk hunter? I am. Yeah. I started archery hunting probably 10 years ago. Um, okay. my little brother used to be, I kind of went, he and I went the opposite way. He was really big into hunting when he was kind of younger. And then as he got older, he kind of phased out of it. And as I was younger, I wasn't into, uh, hunting quite as much, uh, and, uh, kind of phased into it, uh, and got more serious as I got older. And especially as soon as I, you know, shot my first, uh, deer with a bow. And after that, it was kind of, you know, uh, I realized the difficulty level is, you know, significantly increased and just trying to get better after that. Yeah. So I, I love bow hunting, archery hunting. That's fantastic. And what do you do for a living, brother? Oh man, if I tell you that, y'all might not like me anymore. No, uh, no. no. <laughs> uh, I'm an attorney. Uh, so I was a songwriter oh, a long time ago. I'm yeah, leaving, bro. I know. I'm an attorney. Man, he's already out, man. He's done. <laughs> dangerous. I know. Right? But, but you know, it, but now you got somebody if you need me, you know. Absolutely. Yes, Where'd you, right, uh, bro. where'd you go to law school, brother? I went to Texas A&M, uh, school of law. Okay. And I was, uh, gotcha. uh, my undergrad was at Sam Houston, uh, so I'm a Bearcat there. So, okay. Texas right. boys born right and road from us. A great yeah. university, bro. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. It, uh, both of them are in there and they're both growing and, uh, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm really blessed to, to be able to go to both of those schools and, and glad yeah. to be, uh, alma maters there. So, yeah. Cool. Well, man, you know, uh, the guy, all the guys here, man, uh, we, this is pretty, uh, benign, man. We, we really kind of run things off of, you know, who's got what to say. And, you know, we heard so much about your story. So definitely wanted to have you on to, to get you started with us and tell us your elk hunting about your elk hunting journey and how elk hunting's changed your life. You know, when was the first elk hunt that you went on three years ago? It was, yeah. So I'll just kind of tell you about how I got into it. And if sure. you want me to stop or something like that, then you, you can just tell me. But, um, so like I said, as I got into bow hunting, you know, um, it, it, it kind of, you know, transgressed from like wanting to, you know, be able to, to go from sitting in blinds to spot and stalk, right? I always wanted to increase the level of difficulty. And so as, as I, you know, continued to, to hunt, you know, as far as that, then it was deer management, right? Finding, you know, bigger deer to shoot every year and having deer around you, you know, that you can have a good crop of deer. But, you know, it, uh, I talked with a friend of mine who had also got <clears throat> into bow hunting and he was, uh, he's now retired Navy SEAL and he and I had talked about, um, wanting to do, an elk hunt is a bucket list thing. And back then I was in no kind of shape to do that. He obviously, you know, would have had no trouble doing it. But, um, so that was kind of when I put it on my bucket list was kind of when I was in law school wanting to, you know, kind of do more hunting. I was still studying, but it's kind of, you know, had hunting on the mind a lot at the same time as well, especially during final season. But in any event, that's kind of went on the bucket list. And then, um, I graduated law school and ended up working and I hadn't, you know, even, put together an elk hunt and one of my clients just happened uh to say that you know they do an elk hunt every year and they say they do an over-the-counter deal and so I was like you know well that sounded like something I could do you know they're like yeah you just pay money and you go you don't have to you know 
you know, be on a lease or anything like that. Cause I, I literally had no idea about anything at all. Colorado, GMUs, anything. I had no idea about what right. elk hunting was. It was just, you know, I wanted to go on an archery elk hunt. That was right. And you, you made a comment that you were in no shape. Why weren't you in shape? Oh man, because I just had let myself go before that. Uh, I, through law school and stuff like that, I just had not taken care of myself. I was 60 pounds, uh, overweight, probably more than that. If you Google what I, my, my proper weight is supposed to be, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, in 2019, I'd made a, a commitment that, you know, when, when I'd met, uh, these, these guys that were my clients and they said, you know, this is an elk hunt. You can do it. All you got to do is, you know, pay a little money and you're welcome to go with our group. And I said, great. I don't want to die on the mountain. And so I, <laughs> yeah, I knew. Man, I'm telling you, I've been the other route. I tried yeah. it at 325 pounds. It is no fun, baby. My dad went elk hunting years ago with, uh, and I don't remember much about it except for the I'll exhaustion. It, it was fun, but I like to die. Yeah, he, all I remember is him saying how, how, how exhausted he was and he had mules and all that stuff and everything. Yeah. So, I just knew at that point and I'd been in good shape before and I knew finally like I needed to, to do something and to make a commitment so that, you know, I would have you know, be able to hold myself accountable because when I got in shape, you know, eight years before that, it was kind of at the height of my music career and I wanted to, you know, you know, be in good shape and stuff like that because sure. you need to be presentable a lot of times in that industry to, to folks. And so it was really kind of geared towards that. But then when I kind of transitioned to law school, it was kind of like, well, you know, I'm just kind of studying kind of like back in college kind of thing. And so uh, it was one of those deals where, you know, I'd let myself slip and I needed to give myself a reason to push myself and hold myself accountable. So you let something something slip that I can't let get by. You said the music. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Bryson Bercy, the man too. Not only are you a lawyer, but you, you are a musician as well, aren't you, brother? Songwriter, musician. Well, I don't know y'all how y'all use those terms kind of loosely. I try. I tried. I, I really, I, so I did that for, you know, about eight, about eight years professionally. And, and it was a lot of fun. It was one of those deals. I was going to, you know, Sam Houston uh, in undergrad and I was just kind of playing music for fun. At and all box. of a sudden, I played at the Fox. Yeah, sure, sure. did. Uh, uh, many a times I played there and every other venue. At the Chicken too, too, huh? Uh, yep, I played at the Dixie. If, if, if it's in College Station or anywhere around that southeast part of Texas, I imagine. Yeah, that's my stomping grounds, brother. Grimes County, the there. land of milk and honey. Oh, I know Grimes County uh, very well. Yeah, I was so. born and raised there. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, you're not too far than just a stone's throw, really, from, exactly. from Walker County down there. But yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. I got my start down there, and then all of a sudden, you know, I was in the middle of college, and I started getting, you know, paid and beer and money to do it, and I was like, well, shoot, I just keep doing this, you know. I mean, what am I doing sure. here? And then my dad had the wherewithal to make sure I kept my, you know, my my nose to the grindstone, my head Good for him, stay in the course, and I did graduate, thank God, and I, I was really glad for for him, you know, making sure I did that, and I, I was able to go and do it after that. Recorded two records, um, toured all over the, you know, southwestern U.S., went to Ireland, played Steamboat, Sweet. Um, <clears throat> have a song on, yeah, Josh Abbott and I wrote a song that went on uh, one of his records called Dance with You All Night Long, so I've been doing a lot of that. Haven't been doing much of the touring because I've been lawyering, but I still do a lot of writing. I've found a lot of folks up here. I live in Parker County now, uh, outside yes, of Weatherford. Sure. So there are a lot of talented folks, uh, up around here. And, you know, so I'm still doing the writing stuff and, and still getting, you know, my creative, uh, juices flowing that way, uh, cool. because otherwise I feel like I'd explode. But, um, 
you know, I still, I, I, I've got to do that. And then I've also got to do the hunting part of it too, because that's, yeah, I'm going to give you a shameless fun. plug. If you guys want to check out more oh. of the Bryson Bercy band, y'all check him out on Apple iTunes. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. there, Pandora, Spotify, whatever you can do. Yeah. Like, it's all good uh, to me. So but, if I can intervene, uh, please, you said you were like 60 pounds over. I was, yeah. Wait, I was. Wait, wait, did you hire a trainer or did you just get on your own? There's a Tito? picture I think on my Instagram. Well, so I, you know, it's so weird when I've lost weight. I so I'm between a, in 2012. If you look on my Instagram stuff, you can literally see it. It's it's like you go back to my old music day pictures and stuff. You can see where I was in good shape, and then obviously put on weight. But there, I think I put a picture on there of what I did to lose it initially in 2019. It was a picture of my backpack, my golf clubs, and my golden retriever and, like, a set of dumbbells. <clears throat> because, okay. you know, COVID happened and yep. the yep. world shut down. And one of the things that was, you know, just uh, kind of, you know, a crutch for me and stuff and, and you know, what, what I always found myself doing is I was always involved in associations or groups and there was always, like, a happy hour or something after work. And so I always find myself – either drinking or eating or snacking right before you'd go home and do stuff. And it was like, you know, I needed to cut that part out. But at the same time, you know, you want to be able to um, be in the social group with everybody and network and, and stuff like that. So I was able to, when, when COVID happened, that shut everything down. I said, you know, finally here, I'm going to focus on myself. And I had to have, you know, I was working a lot as a lawyer. I really needed a mental health break. And what I decided to do was I, I committed to going on the elk hunt. And so I put just a bunch of weight in a backpack, literally like I took the weights off the dumbbells and I put them in the backpack and I put some water in there and I put it on my back and I started rucking around the neighborhood that I lived in. And I took my golden retriever Molly with me and I started, you know, I decided I wanted to learn how to train dogs better too. And so I worked on training her off leash uh, on that. And so I was doing kind of both things. And I was also listening to a lot of podcasts and stuff that I'd want to listen to audio books and stuff. And so it really kind of gave me that mental break, but then I was also able to, you know, work out, work on my body and stuff and obviously kick up the endorphins, which made me feel a lot better to train my dog. And so I really look forward to, uh, at the end of the day, that part of my day, you know, just, just kind of being able to take that break and stuff, which is kind of like what September is for me too. Every time, you know, summer comes around, I start thinking about the September and, you know, the, the, the Aspens and all the Quakies and stuff, just calling, you know, and, and and all that stuff, just wanting to get North. And so for me, it's just kind of that it was that part of the day that I wanted to do that. And if I didn't do it, I felt lazy there were literally i mean i was it was kind of like i mean you know i'm kind of I'm, I'm a faithful guy and so i felt like the lord was talking to me through all of this stuff and i had a guy that was in my neighborhood he was i think he was 85 years old and he walked every day and he saw me going by and i swear everybody thought i was the weird guy because literally i'd got all my hunting clothes in and my boots and i just i wanted to break it all in because i'm one of those guys like i'm probably like if people are listening to this they're probably like me like you google everything you can to know about elk hunting about gear and I mean, I was Googling, like I told you, about how to be a good guest on a podcast and not to mess anything up before I came on here. But so I was looking up all the equipment and stuff, and I got all my stuff, and it said, you know, use it to see if you like it. And so I was walking around with, you know, the stuff I'd bought and everything just to, to, to switch my pack up right instead of, you know, having the weights in there. Then when I finally started getting my gear, I started putting that stuff in there. And everybody knew me at that point, and everybody, you know – it, it, it come out and talk to me, but this one guy, he was, you know, I think he was 80 or 85 years old from Montana, an elk hunter, wouldn't even know it. 
but he walks around all the time and he said, man, the secret is just to keep on walking. Don't ever yeah. stop moving. You know, if you don't use it, you lose it kind of deal. Yep. And our neighbor across the street, she was literally, she was 89 years old and she came over here from Ireland and I didn't care. I don't care if the wind was blowing 40 or 50 miles an hour that day. She was walking down to that stop sign like she did every day and back. And she was, she was out there working in her yard every morning. So it was really kind of a testament. Like if I wasn't out there doing it and saw them doing it, I was like, man, there's really no excuse. And so once, once I got going and especially once I started seeing results, you know, I mean, after that, you know, you start seeing pictures and stuff, the weight starts falling off and it's like, you know, I want to stick with this. And what I really did too was I tried to set small goals for myself. I mean, I wanted to learn as much as I could about, I realized I don't know a lot about, you know, the gear out there. And so I really want to make sure I was, you know, familiar with my gear and I got the right stuff. And then of course I started looking up a lot of, you know, shooting, you know, shooting and techniques and fundamentals, a lot of the John Dudley stuff and everything to, to try to figure out that. And so as I, instead of focusing on other things that, you know, I used to before I tried to, if I wasn't working out transition to focus in my, you know, if I wasn't working out to try to, work on my fitness than to work on my shooting or, or something like that or work on my knowledge of, you know, of hunting and stuff. And I don't know how much that even played into my success this last year, probably none, but I mean, honestly, if we're being, being honest about it, but you know, I'm glad I, I, I'd done all that because it really, it helped me. And then, you know, I started that in, I think, I think I posted the photos. It's all on my Instagram. So I think I started in February of, 2019 and then by September of 2019 I was down I think 50 pounds and then since then I've gone down more and then gone back up and I fluctuated but I've always I've always kept off around the 50 pounds I was like walking around at 240 245 and now I go between 185 to 195, just wow, depending awesome, on brother. where I am. So, yeah, um, that's awesome, brother. And, uh, it's, you know, I've got four daughters and, and it was really mm. one of those things too. I wanted to be able to play with them and, and it really, you know, it's, I, I basically, you know, put my pack from where it was all, you know, my fat on my gut to my back because I, I can't imagine like, and, and, and after I did all that too, once I got up there, it still sucked. The mountain still kicked my tail. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it wasn't hey, easy at all. I mean, it was still, I, I was just Bry- thinking, Bryson, like, listen, you know, that, I, I we mean, hunted this year with an Olympic athlete, man. The, the guy who actually swimmed in the Olympic trials. I mean, Adam Messner is one of the best athletes I've ever, may I've ever met, right? And this cat, he will tell you that mountain whipped his tail. And I'm just going to say it, it whipped his ass bad. Like, I mean, it put him <laughs> down for a oh, full yeah. day. I mean, he was yeah. down, you know, yeah. and he didn't know exactly what hit him. So we get it, brother. I mean, 100%, this elk hunting has changed so many lives. It really is what has brought the elk bros together, just like it's changed your life because of the life-changing things you needed to make to make your hunt a little more, I won't just say successful, but enjoyable right and something that has prolonged your life you've you've prolonged your life to see your daughters now get married and those kinds of i mean no man knows the hour and when it's coming for him but at the end of the day we don't need to stand in line in front of a freight train to know that that kind of lifestyle is going to run us over someday right so i mean just the the stuff that you've had to do like many of us you know i wanted to 
you to hear a little bit from uh from us too. I mean, RC RC will let you know how elk hunting's changed his life. This is a guy who's been elk hunting for many years, right? Like, I, how old are you, Bryson? I'm 39 years old. Okay, you're 39. I, my elk hunting career started on my 40th birthday. For for I don't know if you've listened to some of our podcasts, but I started elk hunting when I was 40 years old. My wife gave it to me for uh, my 40th birthday and sent me to the mountains. And, man, I had no freaking clue what I was in for. But I did know when I got done the first time that I had to change my life because I enjoyed it so much, I had to change my life. I was 325, 30 pounds, right? And today I'm about 275. Uh, that's too heavy. Uh, so we're working every day to get that down and we get down to around 235, which is really where my fighting weight is. But I'm going to let RC give you a little background on how elk hunting's changed his life as well. Well, it, it, it really has because, uh, I started at a very young age and it was, uh, did lots and lots and lots and lots of guiding and, uh, got to the point to where, um, I had a client and, uh, I just basically chewed him out and I'm going, well, it's time for me to quit guiding. So I quit. And was out of the pocket for, oh, maybe three years. And it's like, there's something, there's something there that's not right. There's something there's not right. And when I got with Joe and he said that they were going to start coaching instead of guiding, I was like, hmm, that sounds like a pretty interesting deal. So when I got back and got to go the first year with these guys, it was like, Man, talk about really miss it. And it's just like you say, you know, uh, I have real bad knees. I have asthma. And it's like, you know, you just go and you just put on your braces and you take your little inhaler and you just hit it and you just keep on going because man, there is nothing like it. And it just, it just changes your life. I mean, you know, I'm going, I can't believe I missed three or four years of not doing what I love. Well, and, and, and so. I, I love RC to death. And, you know, there was a traumatic deal that happened between that three and four years oh, for yeah. all of us. We lost a, kind of our patriarch, right? Um, that really started Elk Bros 13 years ago. His name was Carl Gamage, and it was just like R.C.'s brother. So losing that, I'm sure, played a part in R.C. having a loss of passion for it and everything else, too. I mean, losing Carl was hard for everybody. But Joe and myself were really determined to keep this dream alive. And uh, I think R.C., you could probably – uh, vouch for Carl as well. He would love to see what we got going oh on now. Gosh, yeah. You know, would he ever? And, and he, and he's the reason why we keep elk camp going on weekly, man. Uh, that guy changed our lives, right? Oh. He changed our C's life. He changed Joe's life. Uh, he changed my life. Um, when we talk about elk bros, we cannot leave out Carl. Uh, Arlen Gamage. And we just can't because he's really the starter of all of it, right? Uh, 
you know, it changed my life. I, I, I actually wanted to hunt with the famous Joe Gillia, who's one of the baddest men on the mountain, right? But at the end of the day, you got to be able to go with Joe to be able to hunt with Joe. And listen, Joe is part mountain goat, okay? And, uh, I mean, he will run up a mountain to get his legs warmed up while you try to go as hard as you can go and you're about to die because somebody sucked up all the oxygen out of that damn mountain before you got there, you know? So I know exactly what it's like and how it changed our lives. Now today I can, I look, I'm still 275 pounds, but I promise you if there's an elk view and I'm going right, I did some things this year that I never thought I was going to be able to do, and I lived through it. So I 100% know that, uh, I can, I can accomplish a lot of things, right? So, um, you know, I, I, I just can say that it is being around Chav and Joe the last 13 years of my life and RC Knox as well, Carl Gamage, it changed my life. Uh, I, I can't tell you in, in so many, I mean, I could, this whole podcast could be two hours long on how it changed my life, right? But elk hunting in its, in itself, what we love to do, that call for September, it changed my life for the better. And I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better, uh, elk hunter, bow hunter. I'm better because of these guys, because of elk bros, right? Because of every one of these guys, Leroy Chavez has been on my side and with me other than 2019. He's been there every year with me, right? And then this cat battled. You know, you talk about a battle. This cat battled something in 2019. Chav, I'm going to let you run with that and let, let him, let Mr. Bryson know how that changed your life. It will. It, uh, 2019, uh, it was during an elk hunt. You know, I, I wasn't feeling very well. I had no idea what was wrong. Doctors didn't have any idea, but I got sick during that elk hunt and, uh, I was able to see a ER doctor who diagnosed me as having uh, stage four cancer. And uh, from there, it just went downhill. And uh, I think at one point I was at 98 pounds and I, I literally felt I had one foot out of this world, but uh, you know, what kept me going uh, during those uh, tough times, of course, were the, the elk bros helped quite a bit. You know, they were in contact, uh, they, uh, once I did, uh, get out of there, they, uh, ended up buying me, uh, parallel bars and I work, I'm still working on them. And, uh, I've kind of regained the ability to walk on flat surfaces. You know, I can't get up and down those mountains anymore, but, uh, you know, if it wasn't for family, the fact that I wanted to walk my daughter down the aisle and elk hunting, I, you know, probably wouldn't be here today. And, and uh, accepting your induction into the New Mexico (laughs) Hall of Fame as well. Well, that's a, that's another story for another time, but (laughs) (laughs) but right now, you know, uh, one of the things I look forward to is September, you know, being up in the mountains with the guys and uh, they've been really gracious. They've set me up in blinds the last two years and almost got one last year, this year, uh, no luck, but, uh, I still work out like crazy. I think I'm working out harder now than I did before, you know, what I can do. You know, somebody says, what do you do all day? And I go, well, I work out half the day pretty much when you, when you count all the hours. It's not mm-hmm. continuous when I'm working out. Right. 
But uh, just the fact that uh, there's a big goal at the end of the year in September, you know, I really look forward to that. Just being up in the mountains because, uh, you know, it's like that Tim McGraw song, you know, live life like you were dying, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, s- slow down, smell the roses. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, elk hunting is a big part of that. And, you know, Bryson, too, you know, your your uh, dedication to losing that much weight is oh, yeah. amazing. That's going to keep that's, that's going to awesome. keep me going. That's going to yeah. keep me going too, because you know I can't do a lot of anaerobic stuff, but I love to eat. So <laughs> I got I'm a good company there because yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not even sure what anaerobic means. If that means running, <laughs> that's usually a defense mechanism yeah. for me. Yeah. So I don't <laughs> yeah, you right. for us to be running. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I run and walk slow. If I'm running, you better be worried too. <laughs> but when you mentioned that you walk a lot with a lot of weight, you know, I, you know, I've been starting to walk. I think I could probably do more, and you're an inspiration. For me too. Oh, so. well. All these guys here have been been great. Look, I, don't let him fool you, brother. He out walk all of us <laughs> oh, in the mountains today, man. I believe he walked into a. We we put a blind up for him. I guarantee he's a mile in, a mile out, right? And it was not easy going. He made it look <clears throat> like it was easy. My ass was dragging going in there, <laughs> out of there, right? So look, I mean, Chav's been a huge inspiration for all of us. And you know, when he was going through all that, we kept saying. If Chav can, we can, right? And mm-hmm. uh, it was it was unbelievable. We did get him to elk camp in 2020 with us, and uh, and he got to experience elk camp. We had a phenomenal camp. We killed a lot of really nice bulls that year, um, and it was absolutely unbelievable. Um, but I, you know, you talked about cooking and eating. Well, our number one head chef in the world is on here with us and his name is Manano Grataron. We, we, we call him, you know, <laughs> he's always giving us too much to eat in elk camp, but I want to hear <laughs> yeah. from him and let, let him tell us a little bit how, how elk bros and, and elk hunting in general has, has changed his life. Well, that's a, that's a tough question, Beto, because, uh, I'm always messing with people and, and, and it's really hard to be serious in a conversation, but this one will be, <laughs> will be hard because it's, uh, not, not elk hunting. Elbros changed my life and, uh, especially Chaff. Yeah. I was listening about, uh, the, the battle he went through and, uh, and I, and for a moment, I uh, took me back to, to those days and, uh, and I, uh, now I'm a believer because I saw it. Yeah. Nobody mm-hmm. told me about it. I saw it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I was there. I was actually that night. I, um, uh, I prepared paella, I think. I think it was right. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and I, I believe Joe told me, no, oh, that's a dream. It causes, you know, like a reaction or allergic reaction. And I knew it wasn't. I knew it. Actually, yeah. uh, I told Luis or I told, uh, I think it was Luis. Yeah. I told, uh, when, when Joe got, uh, uh, chaffed to the, to, to, to the ER, uh, place and he said, this is bad, bro. Yeah. I have seen this before. And this is not good. So, and then when, when, when we, uh, realized of, of the situation, I, uh, I, I was really, Bad, bro. So it's hard to talk about it because I saw it. Yeah. And and being able to see Chaff walking in the woods again. So man, <laughs> so awesome. 
so it's uh, unbelievable. So yeah. it's been a huge inspiration to us. And Bryson, what what advice would you give to others that you know if they wanted to start elk hunting and uh, but they worry about their age or physical conditioning or any kind of experience level? What would you tell them? <clears throat> Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our base camp training camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because, y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Base Camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing and achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. Well, I mean, well, I'm not a doctor or anything, but, you know, obviously, but I mean, I think you know, if, if you want to go out and do it, do it. I mean, it's, you've got to, it's one of those deals where nobody's going to do it for you. You've got to make the decision. And it's one of those things where it's picking yourself up by the bootstraps, one foot in front of the other. I mean, my hunt this year was one of those deals where it was, um, it, it, Murphy's law, you know, if it could go wrong, it did go wrong. And if I, that day that I shot my elk, I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that that was going to be the day because it was just, not going the right way, but uh, you know, had I not been able to develop the fortitude and determination early on, you know, with just trying to walk and ruck, you know, there are yeah. tons of days I didn't want to do it. And there's plenty of days that I failed, you know, and that's one of the things too, is when you, it's one of those deals where it's, you know, it's, I tried to keep myself to, it's not like a weight loss deal. It's a goal to be able to move in the mountains. And if I had a day that I didn't stick to a diet plan or something like that, you know, I didn't, kick myself about it. I just made sure that, you know, even if I went out and had beers or something like that, I still walked my two and a half miles every night, you know, uh, or, or if I didn't get it that night, I got up early the next morning and did it, you know, and then my buddy said, Hey, let's do a hundred pushups a day contest for a hundred days. And I did that, 
you know, so he, he challenged me with that. But then, like, you know, when we were packing out the elk, it was still, like, everything. We didn't eat the whole day. It was supposed to be a noon hunt. I missed a bear, a massive bear that morning, and I was beating myself up and thinking, you know, man, this, you know, if it could go wrong, it's going wrong. And I had my buddy there with me, and lo and behold, we set up waiting for this big bear to come in, set up this, you know, little makeshift blind we made out of trees and stuff and dad gum sun is going down we're sitting water and elk walks in behind us so i mean the blind's no good we hadn't eaten all day and i shoot the elk so we have no sustenance and anything we're out of water and then you know i shoot her like 7 p.m and we're not back in camp until 3 30 a.m wow. you know but it's wow. uh it was one of those deals where you know your, your adrenaline hits you but it's i mean it's it's you know, nothing was easy at all mm-hmm. from whether it was trying to lose the weight or just trying to be a better uh shoot I you know I have I struggle all the time with you know shot placement and stuff with you know not wanting with target panic and stuff like that and so I mean between that and, and you know trying to keep yourself in shape and heart rate and just knowledge and all that stuff it's just to me I try to just constantly be a student and for me just trying to be in shape, like you're saying, most of those guys you go out with, the, the young flat bellies and mountain goats, I mean, golly, I mean, you can't keep up with them at all. You know, I mean, they're standing up there looking down at me, and I'm just like breathing like the big bad wolf, you know, like trying to walk. I hunted with Larry Gill this year, and Larry's over 80 years old. And he walked me through the mountain. Mm-hmm. Let me let me tell you, brother. I, I mean, that it. guy's an amazing athlete, right? Now, he only weighs as much as my left foot, so it's not like he's got to mm-hmm. carry a whole lot, right? <laughs> but yeah. at the end of the day, Mr. Gill's an amazing athlete and, you know, and an awesome elk hunter, uh, has a lot of experience in the woods and, uh, you know, <laughs> But again, like you say, it really doesn't matter. You, it's the hard. We've said this a thousand times on the podcast. It's the hard that makes elk hunting great, right? There is absolutely nothing easy about it. And if Luis was here, he would tell, I wish Luis was here because he's had a tumultuous journey hunting elk, right? Much like I have. I mean, look, it, it was very tumultuous my first two or three years hunting elk and then as you once you kill one bull, Joe said this and RC said this a thousand times. I mean, RC'd been my guide for a long time before RC kind of stepped away from hunting a little bit. But RC told me, Gilbert, when you kill one, it will get easier, right? And I really didn't believe that, but he was one hundred percent right. And uh I'm glad to hear that. It does. It gets it does. <laughs> yeah, it gets it easier. Get now, when I'm, what I'm talking about is the finish. The finish gets easier. All that stuff leading up to that finish, it's real deal, brother. I mean, it doesn't get easier. The you know climbing up and down the hills. I mean, my our first hunt this year, RC goes, oh, we're just gonna take a little hike. And it was five miles in and five miles back. And we like to die, man. Yeah. I, I did anyway. And he goes, he goes, man, I don't, I don't know. I'm just not, you know, I'm not feeling so good the next day, you know, and I wasn't either but we kept getting up every morning and going and every morning every evening i mean at the end of the day the hard is what makes it great everybody can can everybody agree it's the hard that makes it great if it was easy everybody would do it you know and and i like what y'all were talking about earlier about the elk because uh uh, you know responded your your question before but i'm not a good uh example because i landed in this group and <laughs> i landed with a you know expert everywhere and to me it was like a 
piece of cake. But yeah. uh, that was, <laughs> that was, I see you people. pass clean out on one yeah. of my help, brother. Ain't wasn't no piece of cake. You you passed out because you was wore out from, yes, from but killing the, and skinning the, but, and elk the day before, and then I drug you in there all night. So yeah, yeah, but physically. But yeah, I yeah. landed in a group with expert. They know how to call elk. They know how to <laughs> everything. You know, I. Yeah. I I after I killed my first. Yeah, what kind boy, of you? I uh, yeah. I mean, it, it was easier, of course. But when you're around people with that amount of knowledge, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, I'm always it's hunting. Right. It's <laughs> hunting. You, you, you gotta know it's hunting. I'm sure. always trying to do the same There's thing. There's nothing guaranteed. Aspect. But uh, if if you don't know how to call a, a scenario or 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 any given situation, they will run and tell you, hey, do this, such and such and such, and go there and, and, and you will see tracks or you, you are hunting with the Elbros has been an, an, an incredible and unbelievable experience for me, uh, as far as, uh, uh, knowledge, uh, learning and my learning curve was like from, from, from the, from the bottom to the roof, like, in seconds, yeah. Because of you know you guys being around an expert, it's a it's a whole different deals. And uh, <laughs> I remember a podcast we were talking about the the hunting partner. Actually, Joe Creator and the Academy. There is a there is a, a yeah, a, like a hundred only dot com. Yeah, yeah. Man, please for for God's Join sake, that. go and find a good hunting I did partner. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I joined that because I got. The guys that I usually hunt with decided to do a father-son thing, so I had to decide, am I going to stay home or go by myself? Right. And right. so I went the third year solo. I, and You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like uh, those guys that, that found the perfect wife, and then you hear the, <laughs> in the street <laughs> people complaining about the wife, and, oh, man, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time. No, I'm, I'm, I'm happily married here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did join that though and I actually found some guys that I connected with because I was trying to find somebody to, cause I think after I found y'all, I found the hunting buddy thing. So I, right. I made, I actually made two friends on there that I, and, I didn't get to hunt with, but we, you know, we'll probably plan for, you know, in the future. And if not, it's, there are two people that now I keep in contact with that have the right. same, you know, interest. Mm-hmm. And, right. Awesome. And, and, and not only for the, the hunting, hunting part of the, of the, of the equation, it's, I, I found, you know, on the unbelievable people, human yeah. beings, friends, yeah, great human beings, my, my you know, my, they're Lifelong become friends. my best friends. So yeah, that was the best part about this trip for me was I was doing so well. That's why, that's why, that's why, you know, I, 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 I feel pretty bad when, when we realize about the job situation and, and it was tough yeah. for us. So, and, yeah. And now seeing Chaff running in the mountains again and, you know, <laughs> making awesome. he's quiet. He's like, I'm when he, when he makes, when he says something, everybody, even the birds, even the elk, uh, <laughs> yeah. so they listen. He's, he's the ninja. Why don't we call him the ninja, man? Look, yeah, Bryson, so, so tell us all how it all, you know, we, we've heard how it's changed your life and everything, but tell us all how it came full circle for you this year. And uh, let's hear your story about how you, you harvested oh. your elk. Well, I mean, it was, you know, so I'd, I'd gone two years before with uh, the, the clients that I'd met and we'd, 
It didn't seem like any elk. We were we were we were hunting in Colorado, and they were over the counter units, and we had uh, more than I think both trips we had the first two years more than four people with us, and so it was kind of and and everybody was an amateur except for one or two of us, and you know that was you know had a couple people to call, but like it wasn't like everything that the stories that I'd heard like there weren't elk screaming at all. I heard no elk, and it was just like (laughs) what the hell am I doing up here? Where are they? You know, I mean. And we literally, I think I saw one, you know, and, and, and what it was, it was a spike literally walked 10 yards from me. And then like, I, I couldn't even get my bow up if I wanted to, but you couldn't shoot a spike anyways. But I mean, sure. I, I'd never imagined one sneaking in that quiet mm-hmm. that I couldn't hear, but that's that really an animal that can be that quiet. And then when it ran and smelled me, it sounded like the whole daggone forest above me was coming down. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean yeah. I, was, yeah. I was concerned, but so those first two years, it was just like, man, you know, and so I was wanting to go to a different unit and I, you know, talked to kind of my hunting buddies about that, maybe looking at different units. And they decided that the two guys that I usually go with decided they want to do a father son thing, which I was like, that's totally get it. You know, y'all need to do that. And so for me, it was like, well, I'm either going to have to find a hunting buddy or I'm going to go on my own or I'm not going to go. But not going was not an option for me right. because I kept, you know, I mean, I was at this point, I mean, I was going to do it. And so that, you know, I went and got myself a Garmin, you know, deal to make sure if I was going alone, I'd picked out this one unit, you know, mapped out all my spots, hadn't found a hunting buddy, <clears throat> but I got, you know, a Garmin deal that way. If I got into trouble or something like that, you know, sprained an ankle, broke a leg you know, I, I could get a hold of somebody. And I was actually kind of excited about the spot camping part of it and, and hunting solo because I don't have to worry about upsetting somebody, right, if I do something wrong or if I want to change tactics. And so I found that unit, you know, and again, here Murphy's Law shows up, right, I found this unit. And so then I was like, all right, what I need to do next? Okay, I need, just in case I get lucky, I need to find somebody to help me pack an elk out because the last thing I want to do is go through all this and lose the daggum meat up there because I shoot it in the middle of the day and I can't get it out by myself. You know, I'm not one of those kind of guys that thinks, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, he man, especially not in Colorado. And so I started calling around to folks and I couldn't get really a hold of anybody that, that I thought, you know, was going to be reliable. And then I got a hold of uh, these other folks um, and actually just turned course. And and I had some, you know, that was kind of the the first, you know, hit of good luck I had. It was a place called all out outfitters, JT Robbins and their crew, um, or, I mean, the caliber of people out there, that's what I was kind of wanted to say is the people you meet in elk hunting, right, is, you know, after I shot my elk, you know, after the story there are people I elk hunted with before and people I've hunted with my whole life that, you know, said, cool, good job, congrats, and some people didn't have said anything at all to me. And, so, you know, it's kind of like, man, wow. But I met, you know, all of these people up there, and basically JT said, hey, here's another unit. Here's what I do. I got in this trophy unit, but there's an over the counter unit really close by and you can base camp out of here and they had amazing food. So basically all I had to do was sleep and hunt. I didn't have to, cause you know how it is when you're elk hunting. I mean, at the end of the day, boiling water is a chore. I mean, I you don't even <laughs> want to do that. I mean, you're boiling everything, even when you're spot camping, that is just, you know, after hiking all day and not seeing anything. And so I was really lucky to have that. And so I could just, you know, hunt and uh those guys took good care of me their food was great and everything and then they had some guys working for them too that uh that that kind of would go out and guide folks as well but then they also um every night you know you're sitting there when they're guiding folks in trophy unit staring over these topo maps and just getting to listen to these folks that have hunted 20 25 years and have all of this experience you know that was my big deal for it was i was I, i didn't have to cook 
you know, bull water and I had a spot to sleep. And then people would know if I, if I decided to spike camp, I told them, I said, you know, cause you know, JT told me, he goes, I know this area. And if you're willing to hike out there and put in the work, I can get you into elk. And he was right. It was, it was work, you know, but so that, that was the deal is I just wanted to make sure I had everything, every opportunity available I could to get out there and shoot something. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're not seeing stuff, but I'm still listening to all these guys that have so much more experience than me looking at topo maps, showing places that they're looking at going, helping me, you know, it's helping me read my topo maps and listen to them talk about, you know, you know, looking at trees and waters and trails and stuff like that. I mean, it was just all of that stuff to me is an invaluable that, 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 that I got the benefit of. And not only yeah, that, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's priceless. And I still talk to all of those guys weekly. I mean, even now, at, at the season's over, they're still texting me pictures of uh, elk they shoot. I'm sending them pictures of stuff I'm doing. We still keep in touch about next year. And it, it was one of those deals where it's like I didn't expect, you know, uh, you know, an, a relationship like that where it's, you know, just kind of getting a base camp spot, guide, hunter kind of deal. To, it was really you got up there, and I felt like I was around all the country boys that I grew up with, and everybody wanted you to be successful. And when I was – you know, they were all, you know, sending me congratulations, saying everything, doing everything they could to help. I mean, even the cook came down and helped us, you know, pack out. It was literally, we ran out of lights and I was down there because the guy that was with me helped pack out, Jake, he was going to find the cook, Mike, who's the only other guy in camp, said, I'll come down there and help y'all carry a quarter too. And so they both knew the mountain like the back of their hand, thank goodness, because Jake had used, you know, he was, he was a younger guy and he's, you know, out there all the time. And so I'd let him use my backup battery and stuff to stay on his phone all day. I was just totally content with sitting on my pack and just, you know, taking it all in and, and being in the environment and stuff like that, you know, but, uh, so his phone's dead. Mine's at 15%, right? And so he's got my headlight too. I'm the only one that has headlight. We had no food or water. It's kind of like Murphy's law, right? We went out there basically just to do a, a morning hunt and we started going early in the morning that day and we come upon this big black bear. And so I bought a black bear tag and my, my motto was, if it's brown, it's down. You know, right. <laughs> I didn't even see it. I mean, and, and he, he was massive apparently. And, you know, he was 44 yards and I shot and I missed and it was the worst thing. I mean, it was like, it looked like a perfect shot and it went right under this bear and he took off right after that. And Jake, who was with me goes, that's the biggest bear I've ever seen. It'll, you know, I'm certain those Pope and Young, we have got to stay out here and find that bear. There's, you know, there's another water spot out here. You know, it was hot, you know, it was early September. Yep. And so that was one of the things I wanted to do too is like I early on, I felt like a lot of that stuff when y'all were talking about cold calling earlier is I probably wasn't doing it in the right spots. And I felt like if anything, I was just advertising myself to, to where they didn't want to be. And so this time I thought, you know, I was, I was sitting water and I was just kind of being quiet. And if I heard something, I would try to go after it, you know, but I was, I was able to change hunting tactics that way. But, you know, so we were going out there and, uh, Jake went with me and I, I missed that black bear and we decided we're going to stay out there and we make this, we found this other water hole. And kind of make this little makeshift blind looking down over this water hole out of wood and you know stuff and this is not 10 o'clock in the morning so we're committing now we're gonna this is no longer a noon hunt we, i had no food with me i'd switched packs and i just filled up my water and stuff jake had no food with him and so now we're just kind of committed to sitting all day waiting on a big black bear to show up 
and sit there all day, let Jake use both my backup batteries and stuff. And then lo and behold, I mean, we're not thinking anything at all. Like we're sitting, you know, staring out the front of this little nice makeshift line we made and behind us, you know, we didn't make any blind behind us. So we're just completely exposed. Something starts walking down the hill and it says, he says, shit's an elk. (laughs) So the blind is no good, right? (laughs) So just stand up and turn around and look behind us. Now, and so sure enough, I mean, these elk are coming right down to water and, you know, I wasn't going to wait to see what was back there behind them. There was this nice big cow coming in and I've got the video on Instagram and everything. Jake was lucky enough to to video it, but like she was walking right there and I I honestly didn't see her. I mean, cause I mean, you know how it is out there. I mean, it's really hard, even when you're 17 yards, (laughs) I mean, that's how long the shot was. It was still like her head came back from behind this one tree really quick and I had to stop her within a foot and a half between two aspens and just, there's like a little whistle in that video and she stops and that's like right when I shoot and she takes off and she ran about 50 yards and we heard a big old crash, you know, and then that's, that's when the real work started. And I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm telling you, are, those cows are big, man. I, I couldn't believe like how big she was. I mean, and, and I, I'm a farm Boy, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm used yeah, to, I work cattle. I, I flank yeah. cattle and stuff like that. And this was nothing doing. I'm telling you what, like <laughs> she was over, she was laid over a log. And so it was first kind of like, all right, thank God I had Jake there with me because it was like, he was, I was like, all right, well, you know, you've, and that was the next thing too was like, man, I'm glad I have him here because he's done this so many times. I yeah. watched the YouTube videos and stuff and I was sure. ready to do it myself, but there was no way it was going to be like a pretty, a pretty thing at all. And so. <laughs> But even with him, it was still so hard him knowing what, what to do because it's, you don't think about it. You're on the side of a daggum hill. Right. With, with, I mean, it's not like an ideal spot where, you know, something's strung up, you know, and so, <laughs> yeah. And, so yeah. And so we get her lodged under a log somehow, right? And like, I didn't realize like there'd be a two week delay and like shoulder pain. But like, I tried to pull her up, like yeah. my little brother's a physical therapist, he's like, you messed up something, Bryson. But I tried to pull her up a hill to try to gear out from under a log, she mm. become wedged under. No, sir. Wasn't even happening. Did you hear that, y'all? I've got to take a second from the show to tell you about the Enchantress call from Slayer Calls. This call, it gets you the most realistic bugles in cow calls I have ever heard from an external. Look, the folks at Slayer Calls designed this external call to act just like a human tongue. So literally, with the push of a button, anyone can use this bad boy to bring those puppies running. Look, if you struggle with diaphragm calls or you have a partner that's just not able to call, y'all, this right here is your ticket to sucking those bulls right on in. If you want to try the Enchantress, which they're calling the Elk Slayer now, to put me in your freezer, then just use our code. It's one word, ElkBroSlay. Again, that's the code, ElkBroSlay, on SlayerCalls.com. And so by that time, we had uh, the cook, you know, he, uh, Mike, uh, an amazing cook. Their food was awesome. He, he said, Hey, I'm going to, but that's the kind of people we're out. He didn't even have to do anything. He said, I'm coming down there. He was in his 50s. Yeah. He had, I think he'd had some, uh, some, some leg operations too, cause he had a little bit of a limp and he had no problem walking down there finding us, but he, he did have a problem finding us. And Jake tells me, right? So we're, we're, it's Jake and I together. Jake's phone's dead. He has no flashlight. I brought my headlight. Thank goodness. 
my phone's at 15% now, and I've just kept it off because I'm only using Onyx. And now my <coughs> flashlight, because Jake says I've got to go find Mike, who's trying to find us to help pack out, and he's lost. And he knows how to find him, but he's going to need my headlight. And so he takes my only light, and now I'm sitting there, like, covered in blood. In the dark. <laughs> in the spot, <laughs> I was getting ready to see the trophy bear, bear right there. There's some yeah. trophy bears yeah, around. Trophy bear right there somewhere. And I'm telling I mean, these these quakies, man, these aspens, I've never seen them with, like, these these bear claw marks in them before. Oh, I mean, yeah. they, they were all scarred up. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting there, my phone's on 15%, and I find this, like, little branch I can balance it on to turn my light on because I'm trying to take the final quarter off. Like, And I'm literally, like, laid under that log trying to cut, you know, uh, up under there. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to turn on some Tom Petty. Because at this point, I'm, I'm too exhausted even five for bear. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm just, like, just laid under there. Like, if, if, if a bear shows up, I'm too exhausted to even put up a fight to try to grab my gun or whatever. I was like, maybe the Tom Petty and the light will be enough of a deterrent until, like, Jake and Mike return to save me or something like that. And thank goodness. I mean, nothing showed up that I know of. But, you know, that that thought certainly crossed my mind as I was lodged under that log just trying to – and literally just kind of, you know, blindly slashing with my knife trying to get that top of a quarter off because it was – you know, it's not like, you know, it's with your deer and stuff. You just kind of roll them around if you want to do that. It was – she was so big, I just couldn't, I, it, I didn't realize how big they were. They're five times the size. A big cow is five, six times the size of a big whitetail, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, they're just, they're so awkward, you know. That, that was, yeah, because it was a whole bunch of deadfall where she was. Yeah. And so there, and, and I couldn't move the deadfall either. It was way mm-hmm. too heavy. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like, you know, just putting a square and a, a, you know, a round hole, I guess. But, yeah, yeah. But, but, but we got her out of there. We got her off and, and I got a freezer full of meat and I got a ton of good friends and I got a good story and I've got a lot of experience and, and, um, and, you know, I mean, man, and that's the best thing about it. It's like, you know, the elk bro stuff, like y'all having me on here, everybody you meet on the mountain for the most part, I, I've never had any bad experience. Everybody's out there doing their best. They're all putting in work. They're all out there trying to do the same thing. And you talk about, you know, frustrated sometimes. I mean, I remember one day I was one of those days this last hunt, I was solo Went out really, really early, decided I was going to pack in, you know, two and a half miles, and I get all the way down there. The sun comes up, and a hunter whistles at me, and he's in the top of a tree, and I'm thinking, Sunday britches. I've been in all this work, and I'm down here at this very bottom, and now it's like there's a guy right there, and he's got a – he, like, had a ladder down there. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, where did you come from? Because my hike down was not pleasant at all. Like, it was, it was you know, unfavorably rough, as a matter of fact. And so then it's like you see him, it's like, well, dad gum, now I gotta hike all the way. Forget about hunting. You know, I can't stay down here now. I've got to hike back out and, and hunting. It's just one of those things, man. It's, it's, it's the whole way is I think a part of it is just when you, when you get adversity dealt with you and this kind of stuff, it's about just kind of gritting your teeth and going right through it. And you know, it's, it's not always going to be, there may be seven years now I go without shooting anything. Uh, but you know, but that's when she showed up, I was like, I ain't waiting for the next one because I sure do want to eat some elk. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but, uh, but, but it makes it that much better. If, if, if it wasn't hard, everybody do it and you wouldn't learn anything. Yeah. You wouldn't have conversations like this and it wouldn't make you the, the person you are, you know? And so I, I look forward <laughs> to going back up there every year or learning something new about myself, challenging myself, look forward to meeting new people. Um, I'm a social person and, and, and the best 
thing in the world is listen to other, for me is I love to tell elk stories now that I have one, but I love listening to everybody else's too and, and having a cold drink and hear about how everybody else's hard work paid off because I like, you know, to me, it's kind of like being a team player. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like our elk camp, doesn't it, RC? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Man, Bryson, that's an awesome story. And, uh, you know, we, we echo those sentiments, man. It's the hard that makes it great. Mm-hmm. And, uh, everybody we meet on the mountain, man, we try to befriend them for sure. Cause you never know who you're going to need help over the next ridge, you know, exactly. and, uh, exactly. and look, for the most part, everybody we've met on the mountain or, you know, in our circle, man, it's been so, uh, subservient and man want to help. And I mean, RC's had some guys that even worked for him that helped some guys out that were in our group. I mean, Everybody up in in that country, man, knows what it's like to put the work in and to work really hard. So, man, uh, kudos to you for putting the work in and uh, having elk hunting change your life, brother. And uh, fantastic stories, that's for sure. And man, look, we're gonna we're gonna go back to our Elk Bros mailbox, and we'd love for you to stick around and uh, feel free to jump in and and help us with these next couple of questions, Bryce. All right, if I can, I'll be glad to. RC, I'll let you take this next one from Roger Campbell. I don't have it on. I got you. Okay. All right. <laughs> Roger Campbell says, I've never heard you or anyone else address the following situation. Say you hit an animal and it takes a lot of hours, including overnight to find it. And when you finally do, it's been heavily eaten on by the local wildlife and, uh, super stiff. Obviously, obviously, temperature has an impact, but how do you guys decide what can be saved or if it's a partial or total loss? Get the tenderloins and legs. <laughs> <laughs> the tenderloins are on the inside. The inside, yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. What do you say, RC? You probably I, I, dealt with a bunch of that before. Well, it, it's like you say, it depends on what kind of year or the temperature is outside. Uh, how much bloat you got, uh, you know, you, you kind of know once you get into the animal and you start cutting it, you can kind of smell it. Yeah. You can, I mean, you can almost sense or, you know, well, this isn't any good. Yeah. Or, wow, this piece here is totally red and it's still, and it, it's about half cool. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't hesitate to take any of it if it's if it's like that. Especially now, if it's been cold overnight. Yeah, know, I mean, the, but the smell, I think, is a big thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you got to be able to <laughs> determine. Yeah. Hmm. And you can smell it if it's rancid, brother. I'm telling you. you Believe per, me. Per, pretty, yeah. pretty daggum close to, you know, if it has a gamey, nasty smell to it, man, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take it. And look, I've, I've been there. I've been there on a whitetail. Uh, it was super cold. Had the butt of it eaten out by, you know, a coyote that caught him. Uh, I shot him a little back in the liver, but it was mid thirties all night. And, uh, you know, I mean, I knew that he wasn't, the meat wasn't going to spoil. I went out there the next morning and sure enough, he'd eaten about half of the left ham and a little bite out of the right ham. So man, I, I, I cut both them hams off there and cut around the outside of where that coyote had eaten and made sure I got enough around there and, and took that. That meat was fine. Uh, as a matter of fact, RC will tell you, my first bull I ever killed in my life, I had to let him 
I had let him go overnight. It was probably in the mid thirties that night. Mm-hmm. Next morning we got up and at first daylight we met a landowner there where he crossed a barrier and they let me go, f- go in there and find my elk and that elk was fine, man. The, yeah. the food, mm-hmm. the meat off that elk was fantastic. But as long as you got good, cool, cool night and uh, cool weather, cold weather, you know, I'm not talking about in the fifties or sixties. And when it gets above 50 degrees, it's, you know, Times against you, you know that blood. As soon as that animal starts dying, the enzymes in that blood start breaking down and it starts spoiling. So mm-hmm. um, it's important for you to get to them as quick as you can. But if it's been cold overnight, man, you can cut that, cut around that stuff that's been eaten, and you know, or discard it and take the stuff that hasn't. You know, right. Mm-hmm. We got. Bryce, you got any, anything to offer on that? No, because y'all guys will probably know hunting up there better than I would. But I will tell you, in my when I shot mine, I could not believe how quick she bloated. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because we were trying to process her, and we couldn't even actually get the tenderloins out because we couldn't get up in there. She had bloated so much, and she was under that log that cutting in there was not going to be right. safe to get. Yeah. And and at that point, there were so many gases mm-hmm. and everything going on, and and it was probably I shot her at seven o'clock, and I, and I bet it was I bet it was fifty five. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it, it was upper fifties, mm-hmm. but it wasn't forties. And like, you know, the, the guy that right. was with me, Jake was like, there's no way those, like, she's already bloated too much. And I was like, wow, you're right. I mean, it was, it, I couldn't believe how, and that was, you Again, know, the, the warmer it is, the it was hour. Yeah. And that the was warmer late. it is, the quicker those gases will get right. ignited. And that's exactly why, you know, when I found those guys ahead of time was I was looking for somebody because if I shot something, that's the last thing I wanted to happen was, to lose all that good meat, especially me being, you know, a novice elk processor, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and that would have been something I wouldn't realize, you know, then how quickly they would bloat up there and stuff yeah. like that. So, I mean, it's one of those things you really got to pay attention to, I think. Uh, temperature. Exactly. Yeah. And be cognizant of, you know, when you're hunting. Good question, Mr. Campbell. I hope we answered, uh, everything and good luck on your next hunt. Mr. Uh, Dave, Chav, you, got, you want to uh, take, uh, Mr. Greeley's? Sure. Uh, Dave Greeley from El Paso, Texas. He asks, it seems like the last two years I get a bull bugling the last 30 minutes before the end of legal <clears throat> shooting light, which actually seems like it's already almost too dark to take a shot. When or why would you decide that it's best to back out with a fading light? How do you feel about uh, shots in the last minute? Uh, thank you all for mm, what you share. Good question. Yeah, it's got, well. There's two options here. Uh, as long as you can see your pins, or yeah. you know, you can probably take a shot. Now, if it's uh, bugling and just, and it seems like it's going to take a while before it comes into range, well, you located the bull, the general area. You can just back off and come back in the morning if the wind's right, and you know there's going to be a bull in the area. So that's uh, that's how I would answer that. What do you guys Absolutely. think? Yeah, absolutely. Manano? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, it happened to you last, last season, better, right? Yeah, uh, it did. You got, uh, RC, uh, calling for you and then you got a bull pretty close. It was dark and then you decided to go back and had to back out. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, remember that RC? Where oh, yeah, that we had him right on top of us. And yeah. He was, he was right, right below us in a little ridge, but it got to where I couldn't even see my pins. And there's no reason to educate him and call him in tight when all we got, we know where he's at. We just got to back out of there. And as a matter of fact, I think it was the next mm-hmm. day, RC, you had him coming on the other side of you over there and, mm-hmm. and had him at about 20 yards and just couldn't get it done. I mean, it was just bad luck, right? Right. Yep. I think that one of the things that you, uh, a late shot in the, after, in the afternoon or in the evening, you have to weigh all the stuff. Yeah. And that's like, okay, how, what's the distance? Are you shooting 60 yards or are you shooting 50. under 20, 15, yep. somewhere in there? Now, if you're shooting at 15 yards and he's right on top of you, uh, and you can see your pins, You've Killing. got a yeah. You got a great yeah. shot. Put two holes in it. Now it fits. The, it fits the the comment. Which pin? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right but man. I think that that's a big part that you you. And then you got to think about it. Okay, now, uh, do I have enough light? Yeah. In my backpack, do I? Can I? I mean, is it? Is it worth it? I mean, to me, it's like, okay, I generally, I back out, I leave, and I get back in there and make a play for the morning. Yep. You know, so it's, it, I get, you know, it's real early, and you get right back in there, and you generally have a, you know, I, I, I like the, the morning hunt. Yep. Much better than the evening. Huh? Yeah, you got plenty of time to look for them when you hit them. And exactly. Stuff like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And look, I mean, I've shot a lot of I, – I counted them up. Yeah. I've shot as many bulls in the evening as I've shot in the morning too. But it's sure a whole lot easier when you go in there looking for them when you got oh, down yeah. than yep. it is not. And you don't have critters you're worrying about too because bears and all the other predators like to be out at night hunting as well. So um it's, exactly. uh, it's definitely something to think about. But, yeah, I mean, if you can get him in tight and you see your, your pins – uh, and no everything's question. right, man. Let let the hammer down. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you can get, you will get some help and come help you look for him and make sure you got plenty of good lights. I mean, that's one of the things we carry a couple of different headlamps with us and big heavy duty flashlights where we can, you know, see. And and as always, guys, if you if you one hundred percent don't know if you've made a good shot or not, when that's, in doubt, back out. I was you about know. to say that. That's uh, that's the. In my opinion, that's the most important part of when in doubt, when in doubt, back out. Because when if you're not, back out. if you're not, if you're not able to make an ethical shot, back out, back yeah. out, because you're gonna regret it. Yeah. Exactly. You're not, you're not shooting like seven, seven hundred or three hundred with mag, mag on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shooting yeah. a bow. And, and, and look, guys, you know that's these up. animals will run a couple of hundred yards at times. If you've if you've covered a couple hundred yards and you've not recovered the animal, you have not made a right. a super lethal shot. You need to back out and give them time, man. You know, read the signs. You know, we got some podcasts out there on how to read the signs. Your color of blood that you're getting, whether you got bubbles in it, whether it's dark red and gritty, if it has some punch smell to it, those are the signs that you want to read. Uh, when you're going to start searching for a bull at low light conditions that 
you know, even if you hear them crash, a lot of times they run like, <laughs> like Bryson said, it sounds like the whole sky is falling on you when they take off running. But at the end of the day, you want to make sure you don't bump that animal because when you bump them, they get a big surge of adrenaline and they can go for a long ways before they shut it right. down. Mine had absolutely no blood. It was the weirdest thing. And my whitetail before that, I started shooting these expandables. I'm like, I shot a whitetail and it didn't pass through, but it looked like I'd done surgery on it. Like I cut open the whole side of it, but like wherever it fell, it bled all out. And so Jake was like, I don't see any blood. And I said, I know I hit it, but like, it's going to be just like that whitetail, I guarantee you. And, you know, he just happened to see her, you know, laying over a log. He's like, is that elk over there? (laughs) Like, there she is. There there was not one drop of blood. And it was, yeah, I mean, it was, we just watched her, you know, go and we heard her fall and just kind of waited. Where did he hit um, it? It hit her right, right in the shoulder, and it went yeah. right in her heart. It yeah. was sticking right in her heart. So that's cool. Wow. Well, that's, <clears throat> man, fantastic questions, guys. That'll be the last question that we go through, and we'll address more questions on our on our next show. Bryson, so good to have you mm-hmm. here on our show, man, and uh, and share with us what elk hunting's mean to you and how it's changed your life. Yeah, we, oh, yeah. we sure appreciate oh, yeah. you joining us. And uh, I want all of our listeners, you know, to understand here, if you need, if you want to have your questions answered on our show, please send us a a, <clears throat> a question to info at elkbros.com. That's I-N-F-O at elkbros.com. And uh, today we want to close for sure in remembering one of our very close friends who passed away in a tragic accident today. And um, I'm telling you, man, it's, I'm heartbroken for him and his family. And all of us here at El, El Bros want you to share our condolences with the family of Shane Rasmussen. And from here to all of us, a big send-off. Uh, like we talk here and, and say here in the Lone Star State, husbands kiss your wives, wives kiss your husbands, hug your babies, keep your broadhead sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. And here is our tribute to Mr. Shane Rasmussen. I myself and all of us here at Elk Bros would like to pay tribute and honor to a good friend of ours, Shane Rasmussen. Shane, in just a very short time, is the type of person that has an effect on everybody he gets to know. He's that person that just full of passion, passion for the outdoors, his love for hunting, and his passion for his family. With that, we'd like to send our condolences to the entire Rasmussen family and all of those friends and relatives so close to Shane. We know that there were a bunch of you. And in our small way, if we can, here's our chance, our opportunity to honor you, Shane, your memory, and it won't be forgotten. Shane Rasmussen from Garden City, Utah, with my dad, Dennis, my son, Corey, my son, Ryder, and my brother, Clint. We're up here elk hunting. And we're having a ball. One, two, three, four. One day we can do something special. But someday leaves a lifelong impression. Let's all join our hands together. Today. 
time has come. Today's the day we can all find a way to take time for the ones in need. Take time and do a good deed. 'Cause one day we can do something special. The Sunday leaves a life of impression. Let's all join our hands together. Can't go.